0: Your attention to Genesis chapter 16 for our message today and encourage you please to stand as we uh, read the word of God this morning. <clears throat> Genesis 16 and 1. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid, perhaps I shall obtain children by her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarah. Then Sarah, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan. So he went into Hagar, and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. And may God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. (coughs) We return this morning to our series of messages on the life of Abraham called in scripture, the father of all who believe. And uh, we saw last week that pivotal passage in Genesis chapter 15 where God revealed that great, great principle of justification by faith. uh, Where the Bible simply said, Abraham believed God and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Righteousness. Abraham had far more than just a little talk with Jesus on the mountaintop that day. I mean, he had a wonderful meeting with the Lord. And God revealed to him the truth about the seed. And uh, showed him, I mean, that time, there was Abraham saying, look, God. and, And then God saying, look, Abraham. And now today, Sarah says, look. See now. Hmm. After all those marvelous times, God reaffirming his promise to him, now he's going to have to deal with this effort that's 100% in the flesh. The fires of the sacrifice he had made were still burning on the altar. When he goes back to those efforts of humanity, the efforts of the flesh, characterized by that old saying, you know, if it's going to be, it's up to me. In few places in the whole Bible do we see how easy it is to move from walking by faith to walking in the flesh, as we do between Genesis chapter 15, great encounter with God, Genesis chapter 16. Now There's always a tension in our life between, okay, do I walk by faith? Do I trust God with this? Am I going to trust God to do what He does? To do what only He can do? Or do I need to pull up my sleeves here and just go to work? And make something happen? Uh, After all we have that incredible passage of scripture that says The Lord helps them that helps themselves. Uh, that's, That's not in the Bible. Sorry. I've seen one Broadway play in my life and it was the play Shannon in nineteen seventy-six when I saw it. It's also a movie. In fact, it was a movie I think first. Not sure. Uh, But uh, I I was deeply moved by that experience, and uh, it's a wonderful thing. I've seen the movie. I watch it, make it a point to watch it every time it comes on on reruns. It's one I can actually recommend to you because the movie is that old, and the material is that good. Uh, But uh, the old patriarch of the family, you know, they sit down to Sunday dinner, classic scene, and suddenly everybody bows their head, and the old man begins to say his prayer, a blessing on the food. And this is what he said Lord, we cleared this land, we plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here and we wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all of it ourselves. We worked dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel. But we thank you just the same, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that, there's some preaching in that. I've known a lot of those guys over the years. Uh, they live by the principle. If it's going to be, it's up to me. Uh, but They still go to church and still give thanks to the Lord. But when it comes right down to it. That tension between walking by faith and making it all happen uh, tends to get them all out of balance. Now, every Baptist gets it pounded into our DNA that we are saved by grace through faith. And we are 100% absolutely convinced and rightly so that the only way we're going to get to heaven is by trusting Jesus Christ. We can't get there on our own. If we make it to heaven, it'll be only because Jesus Christ gets us there. We can say amen to that. We know it is absolutely true. We are saved by grace through faith. We know that. But once we're saved, And it gets down to that living out our new life in Christ. Our hearts tend to lead us to doing things the only way we know how to do it. By working hard. By trying our best. By doing it my way. By living out that motto. If it's going to be, it's up to me. We've been born by the Spirit we want to live by the flesh and so this morning we see that uh, even after this amazing encounter that he had with the Lord, he goes right out to living in the flesh and, and it's really amazing the kind of experiences that we can have with God and still go right out and get in the flesh. Now, I'm not making this up. The Bible says that that is exactly what he did. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 22 it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman, the other by a free woman. But he who was a bondwoman was born according to the flesh. And he of the free woman through promise, which things are symbolic. For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem above is free, which is the mother of us all. And so Paul tells us then that the birth of Ishmael represents the efforts of the flesh. And it corresponds to uh, the covenant that was characterized by the law of Moses and therefore put people under the rule of law and the bondage of law. He tells us then that the flesh finds something very attractive about the rule of law. Human beings tend to respond well to the idea that if we do enough good stuff and avoid enough bad stuff, God will say, well done. Come on in. You did the best that you could do. There's a little bit of right and every wrong and a little bit of me and you and no, I didn't make that up. That's a very bad country music song. But humanity likes that. Just about doing good, avoiding the wrong things. But that is the rule of law. And the Bible speaks of it very plainly in Romans chapter 3 and verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. You can't put it any plainer than that. You cannot work yourself into being right with God. It cannot happen. Nobody is going to do it. Brother Rich is not going to do it. Billy Graham didn't do it. Mother Teresa didn't do it. Think about the best person that you know of on the planet today. That person is not going to do it. By the works of the flesh shall no, no flesh be justified in his sight. But oh, it's so easy to fall into that. Get us a little list of rules and do's and don'ts even after we're saved we think somehow then that though we've been saved by grace through faith, then somehow, you know, if I, if I do all the right things and I don't do all the wrong things and I make them, I'm going to bear fruit. But then we see, well, the fruit's not like we want it to be. And so then we just start pushing in and doing it harder and harder and working more and more. The reason why that's tough is because waiting on God is one of the hardest things that we ever do. As believers in Christ. To keep on trusting God. Keep on living by faith. And walking by faith. Even though we're not seeing the results that we want to see. Even though things aren't happening the way we want them to happen. Even though I'm not seeing the changes in my life that I want to see. But will I keep trusting in God? Will I roll up my sleeves and go to work? And make something happen if we'll learn from Abraham, we'll find out that a lot of times the something that we make happen is a monstrous mess. If you hadn't made a monstrous mess yet in your Christian life, then you're a better person than I am. That's all I can say. I've made a few of them. Well let's go through it as quickly as we can this morning We'll notice the proposal first of all in verse 1 through 3 I won't read that all again because uh, Sarah simply said to Abram "Uh, See now the Lord has restrained me from bearing children Got this Egyptian handmaiden like Hagar named Hagar uh, Just take her as your wife And uh, Abraham said okay So we consider first of all uh, Sarah's decision God has promised repeatedly that Abraham is going to have children. But up to this time, he has never made that promise to Sarah. Abraham would be the father. But there was never any indication that Sarah necessarily would be the mother. Now the fact is that since Sarah is Abraham's wife, it is a natural and normal thing to consider that whatever God has promised to Abraham in this department is going to include Sarah as well. But here she is, and she says, now look, the Lord has shut me up from bearing children. I'm not going to be able to have a child. And so, in her pain, she proposes that Abram should take her maid Hagar as his sister wife and produce the promised child through her. And Sarah honestly thought that this was going to be a good thing. It's not something that would have brought scorn on Abram in the culture that they lived in. After all, many, many people in their day practiced polygamy. Uh, There was a common practice that if a woman could not have children, that one of her servants or someone else then would would have a child, as they called it, on her knees. And that is, uh, this child, she would become more or less what we would call today a surrogate mother. Uh, Which even now is something that is practiced with some regularity. It does happen. It's not... Uh, uncommon. We don't uh, think all that much about it. Somebody decides to have a child by the use of a surrogate mother. We'd say, okay, if that's okay. But this was not God's will for Abraham at all. Never was. The proposal that Sarah made has led to endless heartache and conflict. The Arab nations are descended from Ishmael and Hagar. And the world has never escaped that conflict. I'll show you a little more about that at the end of the message. And it's not going to, by the way, ever escape that conflict until Jesus comes and settles it. She was concerned about fruitlessness. Now fruit has been produced. But it's Ishmael and not Isaac. It's of the flesh, not of the promise, not of faith. So we consider a proposal, but we need to also consider her doubt because the Bible says in verse 2 that Abraham heeded the voice of Sarah. And that's set in stark contrast to chapter 15 where Abraham had been listening to the word of the Lord. And God had showed him again and again and again what was going to happen. Uh, even though God had not spoken to Sarah, he had spoken to Abraham. And in Abraham's position as a spiritual leader of his family, it was his responsibility then to share with Sarah exactly what God had told him. After all, just last week we saw Abram very carefully going to God and articulating all the doubts that he had. Uh, God wasn't intimidated by that. And he got such reassuring promises then from God. And we might expect then Abraham to respond to Sarah's doubts by saying, Sarah, that's okay. I understand your doubts. But honey, whatever God has promised me includes you. And every woman in this place knows that's exactly what Sarah was longing to hear. She needed some affirmation that God's promise to her husband Abraham included her. She could have gotten through that time of doubt But it didn't happen Instead we get the second time in less than 20 chapters in the Bible Where a husband heeded the voice of his wife Who was speaking contrary to the clearly revealed word of God And the world has been paying the price for both of those experiences ever since Abraham gave in to the pull of the flesh. His greatest desire was to fulfill God's will and purpose for his life. And this was a very powerful appeal that was coming to him uh, from Sarah. And so, in a way, she was proposing exactly what he wanted. And how many things do we do under the guise that this is what God is leading me to do when in fact the only thing we're feeling is the pull of the flesh? Can happen very easily to us, just like it did to Abraham. His mistake is easily identified. He did not seek the help of God. Not once do we find him praying about this. He doesn't say anything about that. He just says, It seemed like a good idea to me. And away we go. You see, we often say that where there's a will, there's a way. That as believers in Christ and when we're dealing with the Lord's work and basically just about everything, we need to understand that where God has a will, God also makes a way. And we say it, it's like a mantra that we repeat over and over again. Well, you can't change the, the message, but you, have, you can change the methods. And we say, well, well, it doesn't matter. You know, methods don't matter, but you can't get that past Genesis 16. See, the method did matter, didn't it? God had a will. God also had a way. But nobody's looking for God's way. And that was a big mistake. That was the proposal. Then we see the problem. So he went into Hagar and she conceived, and when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes, and Sarah said to Abram, "My wrong be upon you. I gave my maid into your embrace." And when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dealt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. Abraham was given Hagar to be his wife. And the Bible says that very plainly. To be his wife. As soon as Hagar had conceived. Remember they didn't have an EPT back then. So it would take several weeks. A month or two maybe. When she was sure that she was with child. And when she understood then that she was conceived. Then whatever agreement that she had made with Sarah about the baby was gone. After all she was just as much Abram's wife. As Sarah was and she was the one that was now going to bring him his promised child. It's no wonder that Sarah was despised. She came straight to Abraham with that response then. Uh, My wrong be upon you. They say what exactly does that mean? Well, it means, look what you have done. (laughs) That's what it means. (laughs) Or, if you prefer the more modern translation, this is all your fault. (laughs) Look what you have done. Abraham made a mistake that men have been making for all of our generations, and that is he heard what his wife said, not what she meant. But we're not going to let him off that easily. Because after all the encounters and all the experiences that he had had with God, he should have known better. So I wish I could say that Sarah was all wrong here inside with poor old Abraham and saying, you know, hey man, this is all your idea. But I can't. And so, though he had taken Hagar to be his wife, he says to her now, she is your maid. Do with her what you will. Now in a way this sounds a whole lot like what happened with Adam and Eve when they were in the garden blaming each other. Well, it's her fault, it's his fault, whatever. Uh, I'm passing the book. Uh, but there was more to it than this. You see, Abraham took young Hagar as his wife with all that meant to him, all that meant to her, and all that meant to Sarah. But now, he has said, she's your maid. And that was very significant. Because it meant, she's not my wife anymore. And when we understand that in Bible times, the way that you had a divorce, the way uh, wives did not divorce their husband, that was not permitted, it was not under the law, any way, shape, form, or fashion. How did a man divorce his wife? He said, I'm divorcing you. That's it. When he said... She is your maid. What he was saying, she's not my wife anymore. Abram's put her away. So Sarah says, well, this is all your fault. Abraham in his own way saying, this is all your fault. And the truth is they were both somewhat right. Sarah, like Eve before, failed to realize the incredible power she had to influence her husband. It's just been in the last few years that modern science has enabled us to learn something that we always knew but we couldn't prove, and that is that women think different than men think. We use our brains in a different way, and every man has known that all along, but now there's scientific proof of it. Uh, Women can think with both sides of their brain at one time. And man can only think with one side or the other. And that's it. And, And so women can bring in a lot of different ideas. And think about a lot of different perspectives. That men don't always see. We tend to see things just one way. And we learn then to listen to our wives. Because that can be very helpful. God wired men up to fight all of the demons of hell. But he did not wire us fight our help meet. You got a straight line to your husband's heart. Be very careful how you use it. If he's walking by faith and he's been with the Lord, ladies you need to listen to what he says. Listen, don't argue with Sarah had done that over and over again. I mean, what kind of a plan was that? Honey, I've been out. I've been with the Lord. And he's told me something. Oh, well, Abraham, what did he tell you? He told us we're going to move. Well, okay. Where are we going? I don't know. But pack up everything. And by the way, we're going to head out. And she did. Kind of think that if Abraham Would have stood up And said no Sarah God has told me That I'm going to have children He's never told me to do anything Like this his promise to me Includes you let's just wait on the Lord You know what I believe Sarah Would have done that But she didn't Abraham then on the other hand Catastrophically failed Do for what it, for his wife, what God had just done for him and what God intended for him to do. And that is to be that spiritual leader uh, that God uh, has placed us in the home to be. To share then God's revelation to him with his wife. Hagar then had trouble too. So much so that she decided to get out of there. Probably going back to Egypt. But God intervened. Verse 7. Now the angel of the Lord, the Jehovah angel, found her by a spring of water in the wilderness by the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarah's maid, what have you, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarah. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit yourself under her hand. Well, God certainly cleared up the confusion, didn't he? Hello, Hagar. Sarah's maid. God knew everything that had happened. He knew that Abraham had received Hagar as his wife. He knew that he had given her back to Sarah as her maid. And God acknowledges the current situation. God clearly revealed His plan for marriage. For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Jesus then added this on, What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. God's plan for marriage is not ambiguous. It's not hard to understand. He didn't uh, stutter when He gave us that message. We didn't have to struggle along to try to understand it. It is very, very clear. But when we make a mess out of marriage, don't think that God doesn't know that. Because He does. And we see right here in our text that God is capable of, perfectly capable then of dealing with that mess. Whatever it is. He did not send Hagar back to Abraham. And say, go back and be his wife. Abram's put her away. He said to Hagar... You go back to your mistress and be her servant. That's what she was now. And that's what God told her to do. Now, Hagar didn't have to do that. She could have gone right on her way. And she would have died in the wilderness. And her baby would have died with her. But she heeded the voice of the Lord. She did what God told her to do. She went back. She submitted to Sarah. And she became then that person that God had told her to be. God acknowledged then her child as a lawful descendant of Abraham. Because after all they were married when he was conceived. Because he was a lawful child of Abraham... It meant that he was going to inherit a great blessing and that God was going to bless him as a result of his relationship with Abraham. And that's exactly what we're going to see the last part, the prophecy. Verse 10, The angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son. You shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction." He shall be a wild man. His hand shall be against every man. And every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? God isn't speaking now to Abraham. He's speaking to Hagar. And it will be 13 years before God shows up to speak to Abraham again. 13 years. When he does show up to speak to him again, you'll be intrigued at what God tells him to do. We'll be looking at that next week. It was 609 A.D., thousands of years later. When Muhammad claimed to have heard from God through the angel Gabriel receiving the message that Ishmael and his descendants were the true beneficiaries of the Abrahamic covenant, not Isaac. The prophecy gained a lot of traction, no doubt aided by the fact that Israel was no longer in the land because they had been taken out under the judgment of God. And so here was Muhammad proclaiming that after all the land was theirs and they were going to have all of those blessings and benefits and thus was born the conflict between the Jews and the Arabs. It almost immediately led to war. Not only with the rest of the world but also among themselves when Muhammad died, world of Islam split into the Shiite and Sunni factions. They've been fighting each other and fighting the rest of the world ever since. Just like God said. When He said He'd be a wild man, what that meant is, is that He would be stubborn, self-willed, and He wouldn't be able to get along with anybody, even among themselves. And no, that's not profiling for me to say that. That is simply me preaching the Word of God. God said it. And it is what the world has been living in. You see, God had been listening in on this family. And so he tells her to name her son Ishmael. And that means God will hear. God will hear. He promises to multiply her descendants. But significantly, he also tells her that Ishmael will be that wild man and stubborn nonconformist. All of this then comes about. As a monstrous mess that is produced when we substitute trying for trusting. And unfortunately in spite of all the constant reminders. We still keep trying. And we have trouble trusting. Isn't it amazing the kind of experiences that we have with God. And still go back to the flesh. I was saved when I was seven years old. That's over 50 years now. I've been a believer. I've been in ministry for almost 40 years. It's ordained in 1979. Next year will be 40 years if I live. I really honestly thought at some point in time I was going to have the right experience go to the right revival meeting, spend the right time at the altar. I was going to hear the right sermon or maybe preach it. <laughs> that being better. And not only would it change everybody else, but it would change me. I mean, I'd turn a corner and that would be it. it would be walking with God from then on. And the struggle would go away. I've lived this out again and again. It's amazing. What kind of experiences we can have with God and still go back to the flesh and still be unchanged and I'm not telling you this morning that those mountaintop experiences are not important if they weren't important then the mount of transfiguration would not be in the Bible it is important to have that time where we see the glorious future that God has in store for the people of God and we understand then that that glorious future is a precious promise Personally, to me, and to my family, and to my life. Oh, how we need those times when we fall before God at the altar. Those times when God moves us, and we feel His presence and power. But unfortunately, it's, it's not like a once-for-all vaccination that makes us immune forever. Even if we get a booster shot or two, our our immunity doesn't. We're too resourceful and the flesh is too sneaky. We can learn a little bit though about what happens when we follow the flesh. Number one, when we follow the desire of the flesh and follow the reasoning of the flesh, it will leave us with turmoil in our tent every time, every time. So here's Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. He married Hagar for a while. Now she's expecting. But now he's put her away. He's divorced her. And they're all three living in the same tent for the rest of their life. And best I can tell, they never did get shed of each other. when we walk by the flesh instead of by faith we make decisions without consulting god or seeking god's will we set out to do things our way we often make a mess and that mess then doesn't just affect us thank god his grace is greater than all of our sin and he steps in then to provide a solution The message in the mess goes this way that consequences of our failures can be a plague to us and everybody around us for many, many years. God told Abraham that he'd be a blessing, and in his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. But isn't it just like the enemy? Isn't it just like the flesh? That not only do we get that promised seed, because Paul pointed out so clearly to us that he did not say seeds as of many, but seed as of one. And that was the seed of Abraham. In thy seed, he said, shall all of the nations of the world be blessed. Isaac was just a type of that greater seed of Abraham. Jesus Christ himself. And my, hasn't God blessed the world through the life of Jesus Christ? Amen. We also got Ishmael. My, hasn't that been a mess? So Abraham, by the seed of Abraham, brought the greatest blessing on the world. But when he got in the flesh, oh, what a great curse he brought as well. And though we don't often see what a mighty force for good we are as a people of God when we are walking by faith, the enemy does. He knows better than we do what a powerful force we are for the kingdom of God and for righteousness when we walk by faith. That's why he works us so hard. To remind us, you just gonna sit around and wait forever? We well, old lazy, sorry, so body man. Don't why don't you get up and do something? Are you just gonna sit back? What's God doing? He made you all these promises, and well, he's left it up to you, of course. You're a mover and shaker. Get out there and move and shake. Make something happen He knows better than we do What a mess we make When we try to do God's work My way Maybe this morning You're locked in that Treadmill of legalism Trying to make yourself Good enough for God You'll never make it if you could, then Jesus Christ died on the cross for nothing. His death on the cross for your sins and mine puts the period on God's uh, uh, absolute decree. By the works of the flesh shall no flesh be justified. Period. You can't save yourself. Good news is God doesn't expect you to. The message of salvation is spelled, you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall be saved. Maybe this morning you've been saved. But you haven't followed the Lord in baptism. You were saved by grace through faith. But somehow you think you're going to make it on your own. You're not. God doesn't intend you to. You need a church home. You need to identify yourself with other believers. You need to identify yourself as a Christian publicly. By going through the waters of baptism. I don't know what may be on your heart today. But if God is moving in your life a decision you need to make, you do it. Maybe you're living in a monstrous mess. Oh, listen, i got good news for you today. <laughs> uh, God was able to move into the mess that Abraham and Sarah made, and my, didn't he bring grace into their life. It was old Hagar about to die, but God saved her life, sent her back. I mean, there are all kinds of things God did. And God can work in your mess just like he's worked in mine. And all over this building today are people who can give testimony that, listen, we fall, we fail, we mess up, but God isn't through with us. He's still working. But it comes down to, are you going to keep going like Hagar until you die? Or will you turn around and go back to where God wants you to be? Let's stand.